What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save Save over $130 million. To save, visit healthlock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Holkbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to talk about what happens when an asteroid has decided to set its stony eye on Earth and come and say hello. Or in other words, what happens if an asteroid collides with us, y'all? Is that a good thing? Asteroid yes. danger! <laughs> danger! Uh, probably. No, I... The planet killer. Yeah, yeah, we have to talk about planet killers. But really, uh, I mean, in order for us to have this conversation, I've got uh, some basic basic uh, terms I want to define. So an asteroid is technically a rocky object in space that's smaller than a planet. Boy, is that helpful. It's like a hill. <laughs> a hill is smaller than a mountain. What's a mountain? It's taller than a hill. Though there's there's some blurry parts, right? There are oh, yeah. dwarf planets, sure. which are basically big asteroids. Well, that's the problem, right? I mean, yeah. when do you get to the point where you uh, – I mean, clearly there are scientists at NASA who do 
determine these things where they've decided arbitrarily, some would argue, that a body of a certain size means a planet and anything below that is a dwarf planet or asteroid. But yes, there are dwarf planets out there that you could also argue are asteroids. Um, quite a few of them, actually. Uh, and then, you know, these can range in size from relatively small to ginormous. So uh, that's that's the technical term. Until you hit planet size, in which case then you're talking about an actual planet or, you know, uh, arguably some would say a moon, though some dwarf planets and moons are also asteroids. Uh, then you have meteor and meteorite. Uh, by the way, uh, whether you call something an asteroid, a meteor, or a meteorite really depends on two things, where it is and what, what it's doing. So an asteroid is out in space. Okay, a meteor is burning up in our atmosphere, uh, burning up through compression and uh, friction and some chemical processes that go on. But these are shooting stars. When you look up into the sky and you see a shooting star, that's a meteor. Uh, typically, they, they just completely vaporize. If they happen to not completely vaporize, if some part of that hits the ground, that's a meteorite. So again, the definition depends upon where it is and what it's doing. It's technically all the same stuff. And then you have a comet, which is not the same stuff. A comet is an icy body that releases gas or dust. Uh, they can contain things like carbon dioxide, ammonia, methane, and other chemicals. And um, they have their own orbits, as do asteroids. And these are the basic tools that we'll be talking about, the basic elements, things we'll be talking about in this podcast. So a comet or an asteroid on a collision course with Earth could be bad news. Uh, it mostly depends on the size and the composition of said asteroid or comet because some stuff will not necessarily cause a planet-killing issue. If it's, for example, <laughs> more ice than, I, I don't know, plutonium, yeah. then... Well, um, well all right, let, let, let's, let's put it this way. If the meteor or asteroid, I should say... I just define the terms and then I screw it up. <laughs> if the asteroid is made more out of metal than rock, it is more likely to actually survive the the pathway going through Entry. the Earth's atmosphere mm -hmm. and actually end up creating an impact on the surface of the Earth. If it's more rock than meteor, it could burn up. But depending upon the size, it may burn up. And it, it's still coming in with tremendous kinetic energy. I mean, these things are moving so fast. And then they hit the Earth's atmosphere. If they break apart in the Earth's atmosphere, that's still releasing that energy. So you can have what amounts to a nuclear explosion over the surface of the Earth if it's rocky versus if it's metal. So depending upon the size, that could be catastrophic. Right. Even if it doesn't impact the ground and cause a crater, it can still cause huge amounts of damage. Right. And in fact, uh, when we go a little further in the podcast, I'll talk about some examples of both. Now, typically, you know, Earth gets hit by about 100 tons of material every day. Most every day. The, yeah. Mm -hmm. Most of that's about the size of a grain of sand. So it's not like we're <laughs> not like we're having, you know, uh, children-sized rocks fall from the sky <laughs> on a regular basis. It's usually stuff that's pretty small and thus like we don't really I like the child is your unit of measurement. Uh, Mary, yes, you was, know, I, I, nice. I wait till I, I talk about how big the Tunguska uh, uh, meteorite was based upon how many children wide. Um, <laughs> volume gets really fun when I talk about, you know, using children as a unit of me measurement. 
Uh, it used to be, by the way, that my standard unit of measurement was the conquistador. That's a true story. Um, anyway, yeah, about 100 tons of material is, hits the earth every day. But when we're talking about big impacts, stuff that is causing massive amounts of damage or has the potential to do so, that is much more rare, right? We don't see big events happen frequently. Uh, a large impact might happen every hundred years or so. And by large impact, I'm talking about meteoroids that are about 50 feet across or larger. That's maybe once every hundred years. Uh, then you're talking about huge impacts. I mean, the stuff that could in, in, you know, wipe out an enormous amount of life, possibly all life as we know it. Those things happen incredibly rarely. I mean, the last one that was uh, that impacted a huge amount of life on Earth happened 65 million years ago. So it's not frequent, but it can happen, and it has happened. Sure, and there's hypothetically a lot of them out there. Deep Space Industries estimates that there's some 10,000 or more um, potentially hazardous asteroids that, that are uh, 300 meters or more in, in diameter, which is you know by far enough to wipe out a, a whole country, let alone it's, the, it's certainly, the after effects. Depending upon what it's made out of and where it hits, it certainly could wipe out a huge amount of life. Yeah. You know, but remember, space is really big and we are really small. And so the chances of this actually happening, like we said, yeah, like like once every few hundred million years. What Lauren is trying to do is make you feel more comfortable. But people, I'm trying to tell you right now, <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Now, that matter of time might be millions of years. So, you know, it's not something it really isn't something to lie awake at night dreading that the skies are going to fall. Unless you believe in the singularity and you're planning on living another few hundred million years. Yeah. In which in case, which case you know, worry. Yeah. Then you've got to like a couple million <laughs> years from now, it's going to be a real, real problem. Uh, when we're talking about asteroid impact. Keyhole really refers to a gravitational window. Now, a lot of asteroids, you know, are, well, they're all orbiting the, the sun in our solar system, right? The asteroids mm-hmm. orbit the sun, similar to the way that the planets orbit the sun. That's and, a thing a lot of people might not recognize from the movies. You just see asteroids just kind of just, zooming just in on, a, yeah, on yeah. a vector, just straight for the <laughs> Earth. Straight for the Earth, yeah. Uh, of course, that wouldn't happen. I mean, they might be in some kind of uh, irregular orbit, but sure. they're going to be orbiting the sun. Right. right. So in general, we can say that you know a particular asteroid might have an orbit, which means that it comes close to the Earth every, say, seven years. The Apophis asteroid is one of those. So there's this uh, gravitational window, and and it's – it's called a keyhole, and the gravitational window is usually the small area that if the asteroid were to go through that area at the right time, the Earth's gravitational pull would alter the asteroid's path, thus making it more likely, or possibly more likely, that the next time the asteroid passes through, when it, it completes its orbit, yes, it hits us. So for the Apophis asteroid that I mentioned earlier, uh, there was worry that perhaps by 2029, if it hit this keyhole back when it passed by Earth, uh, that it would then end up impacting the Earth further down the line. Uh, it didn't do that. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't hit the keyhole. But then there's the question of what happens in 2029. What if it hits the keyhole then? And the keyhole tends to be a pretty small window. And when I say pretty small, I'm talking about like 
800 meters, which on the, the solar scale is nothing, right? That's just the tiniest of tiny little windows. So scientists usually say there's like a one in a million or less than a one in a million chance that this will ever happen. But it's something that can happen and thus it's something to think about. Now, if, if the, if the asteroid had passed through that keyhole, we would still have several years to figure out what to do. Sure. And if you, I, I don't know if that's just a number you tossed out there, but a one in a million chance. Well, I mean, if it hits our path every twenty nine years, is, is that what it's you It's actually, said? it's actually, or, I think sorry. seven. But yeah, uh, sorry, every, oh, twenty twenty nine. Yeah, no. for, they, they sorry, projected every, it out twice before. Uh, so what? So it, it could hit the keyhole in seven million years. I mean. <laughs> Sure, sure. I mean, if you go, if you go long enough, that's why I said, if you, if you extend out the timeline long enough, it's not a question of will the Earth get hit by an asteroid? It's the question of when is that going to happen? I would say, yeah, uh, look at the surface of the moon. Yeah. It's a little, it's <laughs> I mean, a little pocked. Well, I um, mean, the moon, it, it, the moon doesn't have the capability like uh, the Earth does of, of covering up the old asteroid impacts. I mean, you see all the places. There's also no atmosphere for yeah. the asteroid to slow to down at all. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or break apart in. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, th- Basically there are differences, but yes. O- over long periods of time, there's a lot of risk out there. Right. So let's, let's talk about the, the different factors that go into these collisions, like the idea of what what makes a collision so bad, and I've kind of talked about it already. What's what the asteroid's made out of? It's how fast it's traveling, and it's its mass, right? Those are the three things. So if it's made out of metal and it's huge and it's going really fast, that's catastrophic. Yeah, if an asteroid hits the Earth, basically, if I get out from under it, am I going to be okay? No, <laughs> really. Uh, it depends on the size. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. what I want to know is what are what are the effects an asteroid impact could have apart from just you getting smashed? Okay, all right, that's fair. All right, so let's let's say that uh, you're talking about an asteroid that's oh the size of Apophis, since we talked about that before. Uh, that would be about equivalent if. Apophis actually collided with the Earth, about equivalent to a 750 megaton explosion. So 750 megaton explosion, even if you are not exactly where the little X is, where the, the meteoroid is going to hit the Earth, and that little X would be actually about like 50 yard diameter. So, you know, you let's say you're a couple of football fields away. With a, it's a 750 megaton explosion, that doesn't matter so much. Um, you're talking about massive impacts. Uh, and, and they're two, like I said, two different types as well. Wait a minute. How big was the biggest nuclear weapon we've ever did? De- Wasn't that Tsar Bomba? Tsar Bomba. How many megatons was that? 57. So a 750 megaton explosion. <laughs> yeah, 57 is the largest nuclear so bomb we've ever 15 detonated. times the biggest nuclear bomb we've ever made. Now, to be or, fair, uh, you, know, or you should ask me, really, how big the eruption at Krakatoa was in oh, 1883. How big was the eruption at Krakatoa? <laughs> 200 megatons. Yeah, it's oh, still see, small that affected fry. the weather all over oh, the yes, world, it did. didn't it? Uh-huh. Yep. And uh and a 750 megaton collision would probably affect the weather as well. Now, if you were to compare that to say the massive asteroid that hit Earth 65 million years ago, Apophis has nothing on that. Cuz you're talking 100 teratons, which is a 100 million megaton explosion <laughs> and uh for for 65 million years ago. Uh and that wiped out 75% of life on Earth. So to in order for you to get to an extinction level event, we're talking uh 
Well, let's see. The 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 asteroid that hit Earth 65 million years ago was probably about six miles in diameter. You're talking about something larger than that that is going to require you know you need something bigger than that to actually wipe out all life on Earth definitively. But um, you don't need anything that large to at least do some massive, massive damage. And even if it's a smaller one that doesn't cause global environmental damage by knocking dust up into the air or... Uh, that whole or, nuclear winter thing that we talk about. Right. Even if it's not that level, if it hits an area that is really important to us in other factors, like let's say it hits New York City or it hits Tokyo, it hits some major financial center, then you're talking about a global crisis that's an economic crisis, not necessarily an environmental one. It doesn't have to be an enormous asteroid to do enormous amounts of damage. It just depends upon what kind of damage you're talking about, right? Um, and like I said, the, the one that hit 65 million years ago, that was mostly metal had made this enormous crater off uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, and uh, which is estimated between 180 kilometers and 300 kilometers in diameter, depending upon whom you ask. But 180 seems to be the the general consensus. Uh, that That's actually not the largest crater on Earth that was ever created by an asteroid impact. That goes to um, the Vredehort, or Vredefort, rather, uh, crater, which is in South Africa. And I'm probably terribly mispronouncing it, but it happened 2.2 billion years ago. And that was an asteroid that was probably about 10 kilometers in diameter. So close to that six mile mark, that same one we're thinking about 65 million years ago. But it ended up creating a crater that was 300 kilometers wide. It actually, the impact melted rock when it hit the earth. That's how, how much heat and energy was in that collision. Wow. And um, most of the time, I want to put in uh, meteoroids don't actually heat up the Earth when they hit. They they are, you know, at absolute zero when they're flying through space. And a short jaunt through the atmosphere is not going to heat them up that much. No, but the collision, the kinetic energy sure. releases such a huge... And when they break apart, they certainly can. If you look at the Tunguska uh, meteorite, or meteor, I should say, because it actually exploded over the Earth, that was back in 1908. This is the one that exploded over Russia. Yeah. Uh, so it, you've seen those creepy pictures of just somewhere out in Siberia. There's all these flattened trees. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly. And for the longest time, people were like, "What uh, happened?" <laughs> yeah. That, huh? that was an asteroid that that came close to the Earth, became a meteor, and exploded, um, broke apart. However, you want to say uh, above Tunguska over in in Russia. Uh, the heat from the explosion set fire to the forest, and then the shock wave from the uh, the explosion and the the asteroid entering the atmosphere ended up flattening trees for hundreds of square miles. So that's a lot of energy right there. And clearly, if that had hit over a more populated area, it would have done massive devastation to that population. So these are you know th- these are actual historical events. There are some that are. Uh, you know, there's there's the one from 50,000 years ago that uh, that collided in uh, Winslow, Arizona. That's Meteor Crater. Have you ever heard of Meteor Crater? It's it's pretty famous. It's not a uh, national landmark, but there is a crater out in Arizona called Meteor Crater. It's about uh, 600 feet deep. It's uh, the object was probably about 30 to 50 yards across. Now that one had about the energy of a 20 megaton bomb, and that one was probably pretty much just made out of metal. 
And then you have one uh, from October 1992, so fairly recent. It oh. was a uh, it was spotted by quite a few people because in 1992 that was when video camera technology was really starting to become uh, a thing, and uh, it happened on a Friday. Why is that important? Because if it's a Friday afternoon in 1992 and video cameras are becoming a thing, a lot of parents are out at sporting events watching their kids play sports. And in fact, that's exactly mm. what happened was that there were all these people who were videotaping wow. kids playing sports and then they see this fire in the sky. And it was this uh, meteorite coming in and uh, it entered – it became visible somewhere over Virginia moving northeast a meteorite landed and dented the heck out of this lady's car in New York. It wow. hit, hit, hit the trunk of her car. Um, uh, or actually, yeah, the trunk of her car. It hit right on the back bumper area. There's this huge dent, and then you see like this football-sized piece of rock right there. Um, so even that, like obviously if you had been under that, that would have – been bad news it would have killed you most likely or at least hurt you really really badly depending on how it hit you but that's obviously not the kind of size that would precipitate like a, a even a, a localized ca- uh, catastrophe beyond the catastrophe of man I, I don't know if my insurance covers meteorite impact <laughs> um i think that falls under act of god it may very well and then of course uh, in in 2013 this year we had the meteor that fell across uh the the sky in in Russia, Russia again yeah. uh where the dash cams picked it up and a lot of people with cell phones picked it up and uh the shockwave from that ended up causing lots of damage a lot of broken windows in the area where the um the meteor started to break up over the sky and uh, did did that actually touch ground anywhere, or was it just? I uh, didn't see anything about it touching ground. It, there may have been pieces that survived. Uh, there are plenty of people who claim that they have a piece of what it was, <laughs> but then uh, now know, on eBay, there are a lot of pieces of the Berlin Wall on eBay too that look just <laughs> like cinder blocks to me. But you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, but at any rate, it certainly was spectacular and was caught on a lot of people's cameras. Now, the interesting thing. I think here is this idea that it doesn't really matter again. It does matter, but it doesn't, you can still suffer damage on the surface of the earth, even if the meteor, even if it's a meteor, not a meteorite, right? Mm -hmm. If it explodes over the surface of the earth and it explodes with enough force, then that can cause lots of damage all on its own. It doesn't have to be this big impact. Uh, so, so this is scary enough that yeah. that actually a, a couple of films, as it turns out, yeah, well, have been made along the premises. Thus, let's talk premises. about some of these documentaries that were made. <laughs> you, did you all ever? Uh, did you all ever see Deep Impact? I did not. I did. I, yeah. I. I think. I think I might have seen that in theaters. I saw it in the theater. Yeah. So, what? Wait, what year did that come out? Oh, what year was it? I think 1998. 1998. That was also <clears throat> the year that Armageddon came out. Yeah, yeah. I think Deep strange Imp- coincidence. I think Deep Impact beat beat it to the box office by like uh, by a few weeks. NBC beat both with their made-for-TV film called Asteroid in 1997. It's oh, yeah. almost like people in Hollywood who have a project in development don't keep their traps shut, and then other <laughs> people steal that idea and make the same movie. <laughs> So with Deep Impact, what exactly is heading toward the Earth? So Elijah Wood looks through – little Elijah Wood looks through a telescope and he sees a comet and, and uh, they name it after him. And, <laughs> and it's really cute. And uh, But then they're like, oh, it's going to kill us all. Um, 
and it's got President Morgan Freeman, I remember, and he's just incredibly. <laughs> Is that the character name? Yeah, basically, <laughs> I know. Let's see, what's his name? I've got the the um, plot synopsis here. President Tom Beck. Is Morgan okay. Freeman ever anyone who's not just Morgan, Morgan Freeman? Freeman. He's, gotcha. he's just, well, I mean, it, it's funny because I think the movie's kind of silly as I remember, mm-hmm. um, though it's, I think it's going for like a, a, a kind of deep emotional gravitas. Yeah. Um, and they thought they could get it with Morgan Freeman. It's like, we just put Morgan Freeman in the movie. Then the gravitas, have you to just take add it water. Seriously. Yeah. 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 Just um, add comment, yeah. And I'm I'm sure in every scene he was in, I was just like, uh huh, tell me about things. <laughs> but uh, in all the scenes he wasn't, there was ridiculous science going on. So, what so, the, so what was their plan? Did they have a plan? Yeah, for that's, destroying. That's what we should we should examine these movies through the feasibility of their plans. I think so. Yes. Um, imagine a, uh, a a planet killer asteroid is headed for the Earth. Which movie should we use as the script for how to save ourselves? Wow. Now, should we use Deep Impact? I'm not sure because basically <laughs> what they do is there is a uh, spaceship up in the uh, space <laughs> called the Messiah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, There's some, uh, that's subtle. Subtle imagery, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, and so what they do is they uh, th- they land it on the comet, and some crew members, they drill down 100 meters beneath the surface, and they plant nuclear bombs. Wow, this sounds really familiar. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we'll get to so some wait a minute. So you're just saying um, we're going to be comparing plans. They're the same plan. Hold on a second. Okay, They're okay. exactly the same. Um, so they go back up and then they detonate the bombs and it, it like, it hurts their, uh, their spacecraft and it, uh, breaks up the comet. But now you've just basically got two comet fragments heading for the Earth. Right. Um, so the plan doesn't really go as planned. Yeah. So then one, one comet fragment, uh, spoiler, uh, hits the ocean and causes a tidal wave that kills everybody on, you know, uh, on either side of the Atlantic on the coasts, basically. Um, and then the other comet is going to hit in Canada and create dust clouds that'll block out the sun for years and, and destroy everything on Earth. Um, but at the last minute, the people from the spaceship are like, no, let's use the bombs we have left. I don't know why they didn't use them earlier. Uh, but they're like, well, let's <laughs> the use hole the- is only so deep, Joe. Exactly. Let's use the bombs we have left to blow up this other piece. Good idea. So they blow it up again, and that breaks it up into pieces that are so small, they burn up in the atmosphere, and they save the world. And I'm sure, from I'm sure Morgan Freeman gets reelected after that. <laughs> Probably. Um, Probably depends on where his where his voter base was. If it was all Eastern Seaboard, he's kind of screwed. Oh yeah, you know? that'd <laughs> like, be bad. Um, okay, so first of all, all right. Well, we got to talk about the other one too. So, the, the, oh yeah. So to, now, was their plan the whole time to use the bombs to actually blow up the comet? Was that oh, the plan? Yeah, yeah okay, their plan so, is to blow up the comet. All right. So, all right, we've got that. Let's talk about the other one, of course, Armageddon. Armageddon, the, right? The um, immoral classic. <laughs> yes, uh, this 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 one was was directed by Michael Bay. Yeah. Um, it, it had J.J. Uh, Abrams has a writing credit on it, along with five other script writers. That's always a good sign. Um, rumors are that at least fourteen worked on it. But anyway, yeah. So 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 the premise <laughs> is that they're sending this uh this this blue collar drill team out to uh out to drill eight hundred feet into the surface of this asteroid. Um, That's deeper than a hundred meters. And. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's actually supposed to be apparently a rogue comet again. Oh, so. Well, well, in 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 Armageddon's case, it was actually a rogue comet hit the asteroid belt ah. and and knocked a a asteroid the size of Texas. Um, out towards Earth. All right, Texas. so Texas, like, by like the way, a pool, like a pool ball, just just cue, just <laughs> bing. If you're looking at Texas, uh, first of all, howdy. Second, uh, it's that's about two. Oh, gosh, it's, it's, it, it, Texas is about uh, uh, one thousand four hundred kilometers across. Um, the largest asteroid in the main belt, Ceres, is only nine hundred kilometers. Just FYI. Yeah. Also, okay. at a thousand kilometers across, you're talking you're talking such. M- massive amounts of damage. I mean, this really would be a planet killer. I mean, this is of course, this yeah. is so much bigger. <laughs> right. Texas Texas also is a territory. It doesn't have depth. I would not No, no, know, yeah, like when you sit the there third and, dimension. Right, of this right. Asteroid. When you think of when you think about the three dimensions here, when you think about the mass this thing would have, it would be beyond catastrophic. According I mean, according to Billy Bob Thornton in the film, nothing would survive, not even bacteria. All right. Whoa. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, intensity. Well, um, does, but but oh, so, sorry, yeah, but ahead. so, but so the the idea is to drill 800 feet, which is like one five thousandth of the way into the into the asteroid. So I'm not sure how 800 feet was the decided upon <laughs> drilling depth. Aside from the fact that there's a fissure in the asteroid that apparently they can just drop drop the nuclear bombs directly into this fissure. I got gotcha. And the plan is to split it in two, like in like in Deep Impact, and oh, have they, they do that on purpose and right. have both halves miss the planet entirely. Um, <sighs> silly, silly, silly. So and 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 it works. It totally works. Aside from the part where you know. Tragic things have to happen to someone so that Liv Bruce Tyler Willis can dies. cry. On spoiler alert, <laughs> yeah, you can't spoil that movie. Uh, you've of course heard the, <laughs> that sounds so exciting. I I don't even want to close my eyes. You of course oh. you of course heard the story about how NASA uses this movie, right? Um, In their management training program, NASA screams screams screens this film. I'm sure they're screaming as well. NASA screens this film for prospective managers in their various uh, departments and asks them to name things that are wrong scientifically with the movie. (laughs) Uh, According to an article written in 2007 in The New Scientist, at that time, 168 things were identified as being impossible in that film. 168. I'm sure that's about one per minute. Phil Plate of Astronomy has a really good write up on exactly what is wrong. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a really great presentation too. He does yeah. he does a live presentation with PowerPoint and everything where it's he talks on, about it. It's on Roger Ebert's uh, list of most hated movies. Here, he, he said he said it's an assault on the eyes, the ears, the brain, common sense, and the human desire to be entertained. I've got one other little issue. Said, he also said I think it was like the first two hour. Tra- trailer you'd ever seen. <laughs> so here's here's another issue. So we talk about all right, first of all, the size of this thing is so huge as to absolutely be able to kill everything on Earth. I mean it's so much larger than even the biggest of the asteroids that we've talked about already. I, I really do suspect the bacteria would survive, but that's because I think that life has an interesting way of making uh, that happen. Maybe but, some well, I don't know. But the the other thing I wanted to talk about was that so you know that damage is not just the mass of the object, but how quick, fast it's moving. Uh, I did some math because, uh, according to the plot of Armageddon, they have 18 days to figure out what they're going to do and do it before this asteroid impacts the Earth. 18 days. So, from the asteroid belt, where this asteroid came from, to get to Earth in 18 days, uh, that's a that's a trip of about 232,400,000 miles or 374 million kilometers. Uh, to get there in 18 days, you gotta, 
the average speed, if you average it all out, needs to be about 12,900,000 miles per day or about 537,963 miles per hour or about 8,966 miles per minute or about 149 miles per second, which is about 240 kilometers per second. The reason why I bring that up is that's the average speed. It would be, uh, generally speaking, uh, even a comet traveling would not go nearly that fast. Uh, comet speeds depend upon how close they are to the sun. The closer they get to the sun, the more they speed up. When they start sure. moving away from the sun, they start to slow down until they come back around and start going toward the sun again. They, their speed picks up. But for example, um, Halley's Comet or Halley's Comet, if you prefer, when it's closest to the sun, it's moving at about 100 kilometers per second. Now, this asteroid's moving at a mean speed of 240 kilometers per second. It's moving wicked fast is what I'm saying. So the speed at which this is moving and the mass at which it – the the enormous mass means that I just can't imagine anything really um, I, surviving for any length of time with that kind of impact. It, it's beyond my comprehension. Um, and also the idea of being able to use our explosives – like if you were to – gather up all the nuclear explosives that were ever made in the history of ever and blow <laughs> them up on this thing. It wouldn't destroy it. I guess maybe the fissure was their explanation of how this would work. Right. But um, um not very likely. It, it was, it was Phil Plate pointed out very lucky that the fissure was, was directly aligned with Earth so that, so that the two right. halves would split off. I mean, it's lucky that it didn't just send one half hurtling even faster toward Earth, yeah. Because that would have, <laughs> that would have sucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, interesting, interesting research, um, that came out of the, uh, University of California and Los Alamos, uh, National Laboratory has said that even if we did explode an asteroid, it would probably reform due to gravity, gravity. gravity oh, within yeah. two to 18 hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's one mm-hmm. of those reasons why whenever you see a science fiction film with, uh, you know, you look up into the sky and you see a moon, but the moon is in pieces. Mm-hmm. That's not realistic at all. The moon's gravity would end up, whatever moon you're talking about, the gravity would be Smooshing strong enough to, together. yeah, it would end up coalescing back into one body, which is, uh, you know, one of those things that yeah, it looks cool. In science fiction, which is why I suspect it happens a lot in those films, uh, but it just is not very realistic. So it sounds like you're telling me that the science from the 1958 Italian sci-fi film, The Day the Sky Exploded, is not accurate. I don't know, Joe. Why don't you give me the synopsis <laughs> of this movie and pray, make it the one that was translated poorly? <laughs> Because I want to hear this. All right. Well, no, I have to. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm not going to summarize myself. I'm just going to read directly from the Wikipedia entry (laughs) for this film. Uh, So uh, the plot is an atomic rocket is launched on a manned moon mission, but one of the engines malfunctions. The rocket steering is broken. The pilot disengages the capsule and returns to Earth. The atomic booster, however, continues on, eventually crashing into and exploding in an asteroid belt. I assume the asteroid belt? Yeah, no, there's um, a lot of them. The explosion dislodges many asteroids from their orbits. They coalesce into one giant cluster and are heading for Earth. As the cluster approaches Earth, it causes global-scale disasters. So before it gets here, I guess. Yeah. Uh, tidal waves, wind, firestorms, and earthquakes. Uh, like you do. Yeah. <laughs> One scientist loses his sanity in the crisis and disables the great computer needed to calculate all the firing data. I'm not sure what that refers to. That is, this truly is a po- unfortunate. Poorly written uh, 
entry here. They should he, never, this, never, first of all, rule I don't know who one, the editor of this is. Rule number one, never let a crazy scientist have access to your computer. Okay. Uh, but then, uh, fortunately, here we go. He is stopped in the data provided. <laughs> when no reasonable, but when no reasonable hope can be on the possibility that humans could eventually avoid the crash, <laughs> scientists finds that moon will pass in front of the cluster so that most of it will be shielded. However, a small part of the cluster is not shielded and goes towards Earth. At this point, mankind's only hope is to arm every missile on Earth with a nuclear warhead and fire them all at the cluster. The nations of the world band together and fire the volley. The cluster is destroyed. Wow. Gosh, it's amazing to think that even nations facing the wrong way because of the rotation of the Earth could, <laughs> could participate in such a global endeavor. Uh, um, so it's I have it's not, really beautiful. I've not seen this film, but I've seen a trailer for it. And the trailer is ex- – I recommend everyone go go on YouTube and look up the trailer for The Day the Sky Exploded because it, it talks about how uh, uh, it's not fiction. This is science fact. It could happen tomorrow. I think what's funny is that apparently the asteroids have a vendetta against Earth. Like we hit it with a rocket and now uh-huh. they want to punish yeah, us. Yeah, it's coming to us. Like out of all the vectors that those <laughs> – pieces could take in all of the solar system it aims right back at our planet what are the odds well it's probably Very because low. that scientist lost his sanity and disabled <laughs> the great computer that was I'm, that was such an unfortunate choice i kind of i kind of prefer the, the the melancholy of view of of that a rogue planet will probably head towards us and be eclipsed by the sun right on, right until it's it's all up in our earth fries well, I do want to ask a question Hit it, me. in case one of you knows the answer. Okay. Um, what do scientists say about if an asteroid was on a collision course for Earth, how soon would we know? Or how far in advance would we know? It well, all, all depends upon the size of the asteroid. It does. Yeah. Um, I, it's not the kind of thing like in Armageddon. They were like, only 15 telescopes can even see it. If, if, if something that big were coming towards us that fast, we would see it with the naked eye. Um, pretty quickly 15 days out yeah easily. it's it's one of those things where like like the, something that size would not be a surprise to us something on the size of a 30 yard wide asteroid that could easily escape detection i mean these things tend to be very faint they're very small um and sky is big so you've got a lot of different potential places you could be looking and you could miss a relatively small asteroid until it was pretty close. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things that scientists say we need to improve upon. We need to build better telescopes and we need to have programs in place where we actually are looking for things like this while also gathering other scientific data so that we won't be taken by surprise when something of that size enters, you know, close to the earth so that we have a chance to react to it before it becomes, you know, just a, a catastrophe. Right. Well, uh, you know, NASA has the near earth object program um, and it's it's a sentry collision monitoring system that are keeping an eye on anything that has the potential to be hazardous to earth within the next hundred years. There's also the B612 Foundation. Have you heard about that? I have not. So B612 Foundation is a group of scientists and engineers who uh who really want to d- develop programs that are really meant to to detect and in the future deflect asteroids. Um, in fact, their motto is defending Earth against asteroids. <laughs> um, which I think is great. And um uh you know the they take their name from uh, the Little Prince, 
That's Aww. that's the reference there, in case you were wondering. Um, and there are a lot of different ways that we could look into moving asteroids out of the way. Uh, the way that NASA has identified as being the the most likely source, as in it is the thing that could create the most kinetic energy to move an asteroid out of its pathway toward Earth, is, do you guys know? It's from a Let report in 2007. Nuclear bombs. Yes! It really is. <laughs> oh, it really is? Yes, it really is. Okay. But, but see, here's the difference. In Deep Impact and in Armageddon, the idea was to use a nuclear bomb to blow apart these objects, mm-hmm. to, to either destroy them or to break them into smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. Just smash. Yeah, right. In general, in general, breaking into smaller pieces doesn't work because, like you said, Lauren, gravity can make them reform into one big solid piece. Mm-hmm. Even if it's closer to Earth, you've really just changed it from a giant slug into shotgun pellets toward the Earth. That's not great either. Uh, but if you were to use a nuclear bomb to deflect it, to move the pathway so that it no longer is on an intercept course with Earth. Right, exploding it not even on the surface of the asteroid, but a little bit out in space in front of it or near, or you know, side. whatever side right, that's going to... Right, because, I mean, the further and the further out you go, the better your chances are, right? Because you only have to move it a little bit when it's further out from the Earth for that pathway to have a big difference once it gets closer to the Earth or, you know, m- once it moves further toward our orbit. Um, but that's just one method. Now, they did do a full – NASA did a full report on this in 2007 and really looked at a lot of different uh, possibilities. There are other ones like using – heat to heat up one side of an asteroid so that it almost becomes like its own propulsion system. That heat actually changes the nature of its pathway. So if you, again, do that far enough out and you're doing it in a very precise way, you can guide the asteroid into a new path that is no longer on an intercept course. Uh, there, Another was the idea of using a gravity tow or a gravity tractor, which is essentially some sort of massive object that you send up out into space that will go very close to where the asteroid is and its gravitational pull will affect the asteroid's flight path so you can just very slowly and gradually move it so its pathway Mm -hmm. is out of the way. Um, That's not really... NASA has looked into it. They they have essentially come to the conclusion that that's not terribly feasible, at least not in the the near term. Uh, I mean, it would be if you could get far enough out where this process, you know, could take... Over the course of a year or whatever, uh, to to actually move it enough so that it's not going to affect you. Can I ask a quick question? Sure. Do you know, <clears throat> in that case, if you're trying to deflect the path of an asteroid, mm-hmm. which would be better? Would you want to deflect it toward the sun or away from the sun? Well, I mean, it would take you a lot more energy to move it away from the sun. The gravitational yeah. pull of the sun is going to continue to m- move that asteroid into its orbit. Really, what you're looking at is, you, you know, it's it's hard to say without without having a full three-dimensional model of the solar system so you can start talking about different vectors. Mm-hmm. Really, you're just wanting to make sure that whatever the orbital pathway is, it no longer intercepts with the Earth. Uh, keeping in mind that these are orbital pathways. In some cases, it may mean that you're able to deflect the asteroid, but you've really just bought yourself some time until the next time around when it comes back again and there's a possibility for another impact. But if you're, if you're able to develop the technique for doing this. You could, in theory, do it over and over again. Uh, there are other suggestions of doing things like landing thrusters on an asteroid and using the thrusters to actually 
kind of turn the asteroid into a spacecraft, move it out of the pathway so that it doesn't impact the Earth. Um, and then harvest it for supplies. That's also a possibility. It's certainly, I mean, and in fact, a lot of the, we talked in our last podcast about the asteroid mining companies. One of the other things they talk about is that their technology could be used to help detect asteroids and to project and in their case of emergency. pathways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are, how are you going to make money on that? Well, let me put it to you this way. You're People not have gonna, to pay asteroid insurance. I, I you think won't, the, you I think, won't help them if they haven't been think, paying their fees. I think the way you make money on that is you guarantee you still have a customer base because they didn't all die when the <laughs> asteroid collided with Earth. Turns out that a massive die-off of your customers is a bad way to keep in business. So I suspect that has some motivating factor to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, we've also even managed to already – change the the pathway of a a space object in this case it was a comet and in fact uh the spacecraft that uh that changed the comet's pathway was called deep impact what right this i is, remember that this is back what? in 2005 2005 spacecraft called deep impact it was actually a a method to study <laughs> the comet it was the jo- purpose. Joe just just forehead planted right into the mic. It, if the, you heard that noise, you heard a little puff. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. The purpose was to study the comet, not to change the pathway. That just it happened anyway, but that wasn't the purpose of the mission. The mission uh, goal was to create a crater in the comet so it could study the composition of the comet. That was the real purpose for it. So the spacecraft actually kind of fired off part of itself that impacted with this comet, but it did change the comet's pathway just a little bit. Not you know, appreciable unless you're looking in the grand scheme of things. But it shows that we have already done this. And it's, so it's something that in theory we could do again purposefully. Like that is the main goal of whatever the mission would be. Uh, well, I mean, obviously the mission would be to move this out into a new pathway. So we, we know that we could do it. Uh, it's a complicated issue because of course you have to plot out all the trajectories and everything in order to hit the asteroid exactly when and where you want to in order to move its path uh, the the right amount. But it's something that is possible. When I sit there and I think about it and I look at all the math that goes into this sort of stuff, it, it boggles my mind to think of how complex this is. You're, you've got so many different bodies moving around in space and you have to take into account so many different things over time spans that can be years in length. It's It's tough. Astrophysics, not for beginners. Not for me. Why do we say boggles the mind instead of like scrabbles the mind? Well, or uh, pictionaries the mind. It actually yahtzees my mind. <laughs> yeah, I've got all fives. All right. So, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about with asteroid impact? <laughs> Any other crazy ideas? What's your gut feeling if there is a Texas-sized asteroid We're heading towards doomed. us? We're doomed. <laughs> what? If, what if we've got a year? No, a year? We're yeah. totally boned. <laughs> we are so doomed. A year? Yeah. No, you're talking about Texas size. That's, you know, just. Oh, no, okay. Mm. Okay, let's, let's assume we've got a, a big asteroid headed for us. It's planet killer size. Um, and we can't deflect it. It's going to hit. <laughs> what, what, what are the best ways for humans to survive on Earth? Wow. Uh, if you're talking planet killer, then survival's I mean, you're just talking, uh, you might be able to survive the initial impact and then the initial fallout. But if you're talking about planet killer, we're talking about the die off of the entire support system. So you lose all the vegetation, you lose all the animals. It would either be a matter of of moving to space, being like, screw you guys. I'm I'm, I'm heading off planet. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Or yeah. well, um, but we could some so, kind of underground bunker with. I mean, I mean, you could hypothetically support a small community of people and in a sealed environment for a very long period of time. Uh, okay. So, but but just imagine maybe. So there are some bacteria that survived the impact because okay. they're in Lake Vostok in Antarctica. You know, and, or you know, you've got that. You've got the the life forms that can survive via chemicals. Yeah, uh, yeah. Underneath the surface yeah, of tardigrades yeah. and exactly, stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you just you need to get in a bunker long enough to wait for those single celled organs organisms to sort of like re evolve into edible plants and animals. <laughs> Um, just, so it would probably only take years. about four billion years, actually. And if you could just wait out those four billion years in your bunker, I'm pretty I don't, sure I don't have that many granola bars personally. And I don't, I don't, I don't have that many songs in my iPod. I would go crazy. And I'd be like, ah, oh, this is the four million three hundred thirty-third thousand time I've listened to this track. I can't stand it anymore. Yeah, that Yahtzee's my mind. It does. It does. All right. Well, you know what? This has gotten loopy. We're we're ending this. So that we can have a serious discussion, like about ice cream or something. All right, so guys, if you have any suggestions for topics, why don't you go on over to our website? It's forwardthinking.com, fwthinking.com, and uh, check out our blogs, our podcasts. We've got lots of content there, all about the the subjects that we've been talking about and other things about the future that I think you'll find really interesting. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.